everyone. Welcome back to Fresh Perspective, where we'll be taking another look at life with uh, almost a lifelong friend we met in high school, um, Dion Vessels. We'll be taking a fresh perspective with Dion. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, what, what do you do, Dion? That's the first question I ask all the guests. It's kind of you introducing yourself is uh, as little as possible a good answer not really <laughs> you get well, that. if you can get paid for that yes that's a great answer <laughs> uh, i'm a graphic designer by trade but uh, i don't actually like using the term because uh, you get a certain picture in your head when you hear a graphic designer you see someone that designs logos and brochures and marketing material um, and that's all good and fine, and that is also what I do, but I actually like the term uh, visual communication designer better because it describes, uh, I think, in broader terms what graphic designers actually do. It's about any form of communication that is visual, something you can see and that you have to derive meaning from. Uh, so that's one part of what I do. Uh, I've pivoted about two or three years ago into UI and UX design, which is uh, something yeah, please explain what, what's that. Uh, so UI stands for user interface. So every time you do something on an app on your phone or on your computer, you are interacting with an interface that someone had to design. So with a human interface design or user interface design or UI design, you have to bear in mind what um, the limitations are of human uh, interaction with a device. So for instance, we only have five fingers on a hand. When you hold something in your hand, your thumb cannot reach all the way to the top. Uh, so you want primary activities in the area where your thumb is, for instance. Um, so there's all sorts of principles and limitations that come into play when you are designing for human interaction with a device. Um, UX design um, has to do with the user experience. So in the UI design, it's just the interface. Where are the buttons? Where's the menu? How do I get from this place to that place? The user experience is your whole experience from the first time you open the app and you onboard and you try to do something. Was it easy or was it frustrating? Did you feel it took too many steps, etc.? So it has to do with your whole experience of the environment of the interface. So okay. I've been doing a lot of that the last few years and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I'm working with developers, which is great. Uh, most of them are geeks like myself. So we like to talk about tech and games and all sorts of interesting geeky things. So yeah, that's in short uh, what I do. I'm a visual communication designer. Okay, and it, it almost sounds like you are doing nothing, playing games, you said. Uh, that might have come out wrong. We sometimes play games to 
forget the troubles at work. But uh, okay. yeah, I sometimes wish I was a game designer. That also looks like a very interesting uh, uh, field of work. All right, but, but let's talk about this visual communication a bit more. I like the fact that, that uh, you're designing stuff that, so the communication is not really about maybe a script or uh, words or anything like that. It's also about colors and things like that. What are like the behind the scenes thought patterns or ideas that determine which colors you use, which shapes you use when you design something to communicate different things. So maybe you can give us two examples, maybe two extreme examples yeah. of designing and what colors and shapes you use. Okay, so there's a couple of uh, principles. Let's talk about UI design specifically. So when you look at a little dashboard and you are looking at sales, for instance, um, it's important to know that that, that color has uh, intrinsic uh, symbolic value. Um, it is something that's learned, but it's also something that is um, natural and organic to a certain extent. Uh, if you think of the color red, you typically associate it with, with danger. And that's not something we thought up. It's, it's the same in nature, right? So certain uh, animals or plants um, are, are red and poisonous, although you also get red fruit that's not poisonous, so it's not always the case. But the way we use it, uh, if you think of something like a traffic light, we associate green with everything's fine or you can go. Uh, orange is a warning or something you might need to uh, reconsider before taking an action and red means stop or danger. So typically in a dashboard design, you would use those symbolic values of, of colors to uh, communicate uh, a certain status to a user. Um, that's one example. Um, other examples would be that uh, color has certain um, emotional effects on users as well. So um, very bright colors draw our attention. So you want to use that um, for something that uh, needs to get the user's attention, but only for a short time. You don't want to overuse it. Otherwise, it's kind of like the boy crying wolf. You know, if you say, look at me all the time in the dashboard, you get desensitized. And if you shout at the user in that way, and you actually want to get their attention for something that's going wrong, how are you going to do it? You know, you'll need some kind of flashing animation or something. So color needs to be used um, in balance, so that's why we use neutral colors mostly in a dashboard and only use a color to communicate um, important things because our eyes are drawn to, to bright colors in that sense. And then what I want to say about emotional, uh, the emotional effect of certain colors like uh, blue uh, communicates uh, steadfastness, trustworthiness, uh, a sense of calm in control. Um, Orange can also communicate uh, creativity and innovation. Um, so every color has some sort of uh, symbolic value that you can use uh, to your advantage. Um, yeah, color is only one aspect in uh, visual communication design. Um, something like uh, shape is also very important. 
Um, we use uh, shapes in icon design and icons obviously need to be recognizable. Uh, if you don't recognize the icon, it's actually useless. And you'd be surprised to discover how few icons are actually universally recognizable. Like it's a handful, mm. um, maybe a little hard for love or, uh, you know, the hexagon for a stop sign. That means stop, obviously, and a few others. Um, so icon design is quite a tricky thing uh, to, to, to use in user interface design because um, I always use this test. If I have to think about icon for something specific, um, like let's say there's a, uh, I need an icon for uh, the word conversation. It's best to go with the thing that's most obvious in your, in your head. Mm. So it, it doesn't make sense to, to come up with something uh, creative or innovative. And it's, it looks very cool, but people have to look at it and kind of figure out what it's about. Yeah. So if I do anything with conversation, I'm going to use a speech bubble or something similar because that's immediately recognizable as conversation or talking or chat or message or something like that. So you kind of have to meet users where they are. Um, what, what is the obvious thing for users? And um, yeah, one of the main, main principles of UI design is uh, don't let me think or don't make me think uh, the user doesn't want to think about what he or she wants to do. They just want to do it. You want to log into your app and you want to do this thing, make a payment or send a message or whatever. If it's too complicated, if it's not obvious, then you've kind of failed in what you wanted to do. Oh, that's, that's quite interesting. So uh, you touched on uh, creativity and innovation, which is something I want to talk to you about as well. Um, mm -hmm. And, and we, when we create art, we kind of want to go to the opposite side of that. We want the person interacting with the art to think and engage with it in more than just a visual way, right? And also emotionally and even intellectually engage with an, with an art piece. So what are, what are your takes on, on creativity? What is creativity? What determines if a person actually utilizes their creativity? Um, so the interesting thing about um, the work that I do uh, is that it's applied creativity, right? So th there's always a, a brief that, that a designer has to work with and a brief contains uh, certain requirements and constraints and you have to come up with a solution that fulfills that specific brief or set of requirements from the client. So the creativity is always guided by these principles. But when it comes to art and personal expression, um, there isn't a, a brief per se, not necessarily. Um, and it depends on what you want to do with, with your art or your creativity. So on the one hand, you might want to make a personal statement or a political statement. On the other hand, it might just be a way to express a certain state of mind, etc. Um, but one thing I do know and believe is that we are uh, 
all naturally creative. It's, it's part of being human. Um, and I think what activates our creativity is any form of constraint. So even, even if I want to do something creative, right, I'm not going to like stand in the middle of a field and then start jumping around and pulling out leaves and making marks. Maybe that's your thing, but you know, you'll have a, a certain idea. I want to make a painting, right? That's a constraint. Okay. What medium? Oil paint. Okay. Canvas or gesso uh, board. Now I'm doing on board, right? How big? Well, I want to do something smallish like this. Okay. So you keep adding constraints and that helps to focus the mind and eventually come up with something that you do with your hands uh, or your feet or whatever. So I think it's really, really difficult to be creative if you don't have any form of constraint. I think uh, it, that's how our brains evolved, right? So uh, you're a caveman and you want to make a hole in something, right? So there's a specific constraint. Uh, I want to get to, uh, I see there's honey inside this tree. Uh, I can see the bees coming out of a small hole and I want to get inside. How do I do it? Okay, now the brain starts working. The guy that couldn't do it died. The guys that figured out something, they survived. And eventually we all have these wonderful organs that uh, that's activated when there's some challenge, some kind of constraint, something I need to solve. And I think that's where creativity really, really becomes. Um, so what would, what's your answer to people who say, no, I'm, I'm not creative. If you say everyone's creative, which I agree with fully, well, what, what, how do you engage with people who say, no, you know, I wish you hear that often. I wish I was as creative. No, I, I can't draw. Or I wish I was creative. Yes. Something like that. Yeah. Um, what's your, what's your, your take on that or your encouragement or message to people who feel that way? In the first place, I think it's a, a false belief. Uh, I think it, um, it has to do with the way um, we were brought up and the way the education system is designed, unfortunately, to uh, promote some form of fixed mindset. Um, so the way we are assessed with uh, testing and exams from a, a small age, um, creative work uh, is also assessed but it's, it's more difficult, right? Because it, it's subjective as well. So now the teacher doesn't like your expressive style and she says, oh, man, uh, F for this painting. So the, the message you internalize is, I can't draw or I can't paint or I am not creative mm. because of a very specific idea that that teacher or system had about how you needed to express yourself. So it's just something that needs to be unlearned. And, and the challenge is to go from a fixed mindset that says, I cannot draw or I am not creative to a growth mindset that says, I can learn to draw. I can learn to be more creative. And then doing an online course or watching some YouTube videos and then trying different things and eventually discovering or rediscovering your own creativity. 
So it's really about growth mindset um, in the end. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming you're referring to Carol Dweck's work and Absolutely. growth mindset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. Um, I've also been thinking recently how this, um, uh, how this also affects that um, common thing we see in creative industries, uh, imposter syndrome. You know, where you Could feel... Could you explain what that is? It's that dreaded feeling that I don't belong here or I'm going to be found out. Mm. Uh, people are going to discover that I don't have what it takes, that I don't have enough talent. Fraud in a certain context. I'm going to be exposed as a f Exactly. And many, many, many uh, creative people, ironically, or people in creative industries feel this way. Because what happens is we look at uh, other designers' portfolios and um, other work online, and it all looks amazing. But we see the <clears throat> sorry, we see the fruit of many hours and hours and hours of labor. We don't see the process work. So we see the culmination of that work. And we think somehow this is all that person is creating, is all these amazing things. And you compare it to your own, not your own best work, everything you do. And a lot of what we do is just mediocre. It's just the way it is. If I think of someone like Picasso, um, I've seen a lot of his process work. A lot of it's crap. Uh, but we, we only see the fantastic um, paintings in MoMA and in... Uh, uh, the, the, the Prado, we see uh, this painting and that painting, we're like, oh man, this guy is so amazing. I wish I was like that. But they're not like that all the time. That is the fruit of a, 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 a growth mindset by learning and learning and trying new things, experimenting, failing. Okay, this looks great. What can I learn from this? Okay, I'm going to try this thing next time. And so you grow little by little by little. And eventually, you start producing more high-quality work that goes into your portfolio. And that people say, wow, that's so amazing. Um, but in the end, um, if, if you don't have that kind of mindset about your own work, you are going to feel like an imposter. You are going to compare all your process work to what you see out there and think, well, it's not nearly good enough. Um, and this is only something I discovered recently. and I. I'm really trying to, even when I get um, critical feedback from colleagues or clients on my work, um, my knee-jerk reaction was always to kind of want to justify myself, like uh, it's their opinion or uh, you start internalizing it. Maybe I am shit. Um, <laughs> maybe they've got a point. Uh, and then you go into that whole um, negative spiral of imposter syndrome thinking versus okay what's what's the point they're trying to make uh what can i learn from this and then applying that in your work and with that kind of mindset you're always on the up you're always growing and i i just think that's a lot better than uh, any kind of fixed mindset thinking uh, yeah okay i want to i want to dive into um the the limitations so self-imposed kind of constraints 
But also, um, I want to make a comment about uh, how we get into this mindset of believing that maybe we, we are not creative or not good at drawing or painting or whatever. I mean, we don't see that in kids, right? Kids are very no. proud to show all their drawings and paintings um, to anyone. <laughs> um, so I think one of the, one of the uh, um, well, one book that comes to mind is uh, Austin Kleon's Steal Like an Artist. I don't know if you've read that. I've, I've looked at a few pages. I, I don't think okay. I've read those. So um, I think he quotes Leonardo da Vinci, who said like um, something like in the lines of, you know, uh, good artists uh, imitate and great artists copy. Well, yeah, supposedly Picasso. Oh, Picasso, that. thank you. Good artists copy, great artists steal. Steal. Oh, there we go. All right. So um, what I like about that idea is I think that's musically as well. Um, being a musician, I found that as you, as you steal, as you copy, as you imitate, all of those things combined, you find your own voice. You discover, wow, if I can copy this great uh, artist or this great musician that builds confidence and within that you learn different things mm -hmm. so could you maybe um say something about that that whole process of copying and imitating and stealing uh, others work in, in in a legal way or not in a plagiaristic way just to kind of yeah, sure. understand developing your own voice um yeah, this is a very irrelevant topic for me. Um, when I was at the 99U conference a few years ago in New York, the Adobe conference for creatives, a really inspiring place to be. Um, and you see all these great um, artists and, and they show their work. And again, that imposter syndrome comes in. And, and I remember clearly uh, during one of the breaks, they asked us to... Um, share your most pressing question with uh, you know the person sitting next to you and 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 mine had to do with finding my own voice uh, i had a great conversation with uh, a designer there and um you know he, he also expressed the hope that you know one day I'd, I'd i'd find my own voice and it's such a um uh, it's it's such a thing to aspire to for for creative people because we all want to feel that we have a unique voice, right? Mm. Now, the thing is, we do have a unique voice. It's not something that you can actually get rid of. It is there. It's there from the beginning as a kid. Like you said, when you're playing and drawing and making marks of any kind, your voice is already in that. Um, and then we lose that sense of play when things get measured, right? When they get assessed, when they say, oh, this drawing is three out of 10 and this one is nine out of 10. And then we get that fixed mindset where, okay, cool. I am a three out of 10 when it comes to creativity. So my voice, even if it is unique, is just not very good. And then, you know, you become an adult and you're stuck in that way of thinking. And I think it's, it's problematic to try and find your own voice by just sort of mucking about and because you're, you are going to feel discouraged as you are working, measuring, 
you, you will be disappointed with the results. And eventually <clears throat> you might give up or you say to yourself, well, maybe I'm just not very good. The other option is to uh, have a growth mindset, start copying others to get a feel for different kinds of styles. And then from each style that you copy or emulate, you take something and you make it your own and you latch it onto your unique style, your unique voice. And because it is expressed through your voice, it looks a little different. And I think that's what Picasso meant is a, a good artist might just copy. So it just looks like the original artist's work. And there's no real skill or excitement or anything personal about that. But if you steal it, if you take it and say, okay, now it's mine, and you express it through your voice or the accumulation of all the different styles you've experimented with, that sort of transmogrified through your voice, then it is something new. It is something unique. So you might be able to identify uh, certain influences, but it will still be your voice. And I have a very good example of this. Um, when, um, when I was a lecturer in, in uh, Pochestrum, um, many years ago, 2004, I started there. Um, I also did a, a after hours course for um, so like adults, anyone interested in design. And there, there was a guy there, Gertz Kuman, And he, he applied for the graphic design um, degree at the university and um, he, he got rejected. So they just say, all right, this portfolio is not good enough. Uh, we, can't, we can't allow you to come and study, you know? So not good enough, basically. So Ghar did this after hours course with me and um, it, it was so cool to see his growth mindset. He just wanted to learn and experiment and try new things. And I remember the year after that, he applied again and he got in. So now he was in my first year group. Okay. And with every project I gave them, he tried a new style of design or illustration, like a totally new style. And sometimes it failed and sometimes it was okay. And sometimes it was great, but he just kept trying new styles. He just kept stealing. Yeah. By the end of his second year, he was already, best in class in terms of his skill and uh, the myriad ways that he could solve any creative problem because he's now emulated so many different styles. In the end, he went to go work for a very, um, uh, this amazing illustration studio in London and he started a branch of theirs in Cape Town and he's one of the most successful and brilliant illustrators and designers I know. He, he's way better than me and i told him that and he's such a humble guy he says wow that is so great coming for you and i'm thinking are you kidding me <laughs> look at what you've done look mm -hmm. look at how you've grown and learned and expanded your skill set so that's a good example of what can happen if you're not precious about the process and think oh i must find my own voice on my own 
Mm. I think that's rubbish. Uh, go find it by copying other voices. And in the end, you will find your own. And it will be a beautiful mix of different voices. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that made sense. Yeah, I like it. Um, and thank you for the story as well. Uh, so when it comes to constraints, right? Um, some, some constraints are mental, meaning we believe certain things that limit us. And that stops us. Like you, you shared the story of Hap. Now he did not allow that to happen to him. Yeah. Um, so, so I've got a few comments and then another question. Um, I think when when you look at something like art, you can only really give it any kind of mark or point or you know percentage when when you have to duplicate something, and someone can say, okay, you did a good job of duplicating or copying what you had to play like with with piano music or with art but otherwise it is truly very very subjective and it's very you know it's very unfair to give a mark for people that do different things if they are supposed to all do the same thing you can you know critique them on technique and things like that but but i think that robs a lot of people of the confidence they need and places that that limiting belief kind of constraint but what i love about consciously putting and and, and imposing constraints on yourself is what that unlocks in the mind and the possibilities that opens up um like with with hat as well choosing uh, different genres or styles that that's a constraint because he wasn't as fluent in that language but that obviously helped him develop that language I'm thinking of Peter Gabriel, a musician that I love. Um, like on his first four albums, he wanted no, no words, no letters on the covers. Um, mm -hmm. He also at one stage said no hi-hats for the drummer, no hi-hats at all, because he felt like it, it stole all the top end space in music. And mm -hmm. even after that, he's like only two letters uh, on my album cover design. You know, he's like, we, we spend all this money and time in designing this beautiful cover. And then we like put uh, words and, and uh, things like that mm. on a copy on it instead of mm. you know, using that beauty. Mm. And all of that is great. Uh, it's just awesome. He also, another example, Peter Gabriel, Stephen Copeland, the drummer from Police, he actually for another album, he, he got him in to say, you only do Hyatt work. So you only play the hi-hats, <laughs> things like that. And um, yeah. I mean, all of that is, is examples that I know from Peter Gabriel. Constraints, choosing exactly. constraints. If, if I think of one of my favorite games of the last 10 years, it's, it's the game Limbo, developed by Playdead Studio, um, guys in Denmark. And they decided to do the whole game in black and white. Oh. And it, the, the, the overall effect is so amazing. The, the main character is a little boy. It's ba he's basically a silhouette with two white dots where his eyes are. Uh, but the mechanics otherwise, and that's the interesting thing, the game mechanics, every time you, you die or interact with something, it feels like a... Uh, a real 
person, you know. The, so they didn't they didn't use that as an excuse to skimp because we can not hiding away by by saying it's only black and white. Exactly. I mean, um, when I was a lecturer, I often heard students say, "Now I want to go for something simple, which is just student talk for." Um, I'm really lazy and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. And that has to do with simplicity on the far side of complexity or not. And that's, that's another topic. But the point is using constraint to be creative and still uh, doing the work um, and, and then having an end result like that game Limbo is, is one of the best games um, I've played in, in such a long time. And um, it's because of constraint. The guys decided, okay, we, we're not going to use color in this game. Color would be superfluous to the gameplay, the kind of atmosphere we wanted to create because it, it has a very melancholy feel. The music is uh, like ambient and drony and dark. And it, it's just a beautiful end result. Um, I also want to tell you another story from uh, my lecturer days. I thought one year it would be a great idea um, to give the third years an exam project where I <clears throat> tell them you can do whatever you want. So uh, you've got an A3 sheet of paper and th the brief basically said, show off your design skills. Yeah. Do whatever you like. Mm. It has to be on an A3 sheet. That's it. It was a ridiculous failure. Total, total balls up. <laughs> like the, the, the students did not know how to engage with something that was so wide. Mm. There were nearly no constraints, right? Out of the 30 or so students, two of them got it right. Like actually, but they also created their own constraints. Yeah. The one decided, okay, I'm going to do a collage of different uh, designs. And I can't remember what the other one did, but the, the point is they had to create their own constraints. The rest just, you could see in the end result, they were lost. They didn't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. So constraint is very, very important um, when it comes to creativity. And you can try it yourself. I mean, if, if you, let's say you want to do something creative over the weekend, right? And you give yourself a sheet of paper and you want to do it in color pencil. And then you say, mm, I'm going to use only one color. I'm going to use green. And I'm now going to draw every green object I can think of. And also, I'm not going to lift the pencil from the paper. Hmm. I guarantee you will find something much more interesting than saying, here's all the colors, draw something. Yeah. That so we can use constraint to our benefit if we want to express our creativity. And I like the idea that, that, it, that it's conscious. You choose the constraints to challenge yes. your creativity and, to, and to, to, to almost show yourself what you can do and what's possible if you do that. I like that I a lot. It, it, it's just a way to activate the brain. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I believe that's how the brain evolved, is to, to, um, to, to flourish under circumstances that are severely limited. Mm. It's the same as saying um, necessity is the mother of invention. 
we, we get creative, we, we get innovative when we have to. And the way to create that have to is by adding constraints, even if you do it um, manually. Uh, but it's still very conscious, as you say, you decide, I'm throwing away all of this, all of that, I'm only doing it with these few constraints and you'll be surprised at the end result. It really does, it's magical. Yeah. Let's talk about being creative. I know you, um, you also, a few years ago, started Mind the Shadow. So maybe just tell us what that is. Um, yeah, Mind the Shadow was born out of the idea that um, I, I don't think it's healthy for a, a graphic designer or a, anyone in visual communication to, to just do work that are based on briefs from clients. Or All right, not only applied creativity. Exactly, or what you can call a commercial work. Okay. In other words, th there's always some specific um, gain to be made from it. You know, it's, it's work that you get paid for. Um, it's for a specific client. You can't reuse it for anything else. And it's not necessarily uh, something that you would want to do if you had a choice. Um, so I got this idea to uh, start an account on Instagram um, that links with the, the Jungian idea of uh, the shadow as part of our unconscious mind. So that's the part of ourselves that we um, are, are not necessarily in contact with. Uh, it might be a part of your lost self or suppressed um, ideas about yourself. It's, it's anything that's hidden from plain view, right? It's not part of your day-to-day -day consciousness. So well, even your denied self, which includes creativity. Exactly. And that, that is the, the point is that it's a place with a lot of energy and with a lot of um, latent creativity. Mm. So if you can tap into that unconscious mind, that shadow, you can open up a whole Pandora's box of creative ideas. And it's, it's actually quite scary because it's, it's much bigger than just the part that you call yourself, right? Uh, the ego the part that you manage from day to day, the part that's having the thoughts all the time. And um, I think it's, it's scary to access your shadow, but also exciting. So I called it Mind the Shadow uh, because we, we will benefit if we uh, have the courage to engage with the shadow, if we mind it as opposed to not minding it, forgetting about it or suppressing it. And... Um, I feel I've only touched uh, the tip of the iceberg, really. I mean, I've got some cool drawings and cartoons and things on the account, but I feel that there's still a lot to, to mine in the, in the shadow, uh, more to explore. Uh, but, but I do find that it's a good place for me to express myself if I've got any cool idea, uh, an idea for a drawing or a painting or whatever. Um, I, I posted there and it's it's just a great way to balance all the commercial work um, client briefs etc with things that I 
do for myself and for the enjoyment of, of others. So yeah, that's on the shutter. Anyone listening can go check it out, please. Yeah, give us a handle. At Mind the Shadow on okay. um, Instagram and Facebook. All right, perfect. Um, I, I wanted to now talk about uh, another barrier or barriers that we sometimes have. So sometimes we, we want to be creative. We want to do certain things. We want to draw or paint or, you know, create music or write or whatever. But the, you know, the, the brushes and the paint is in this cupboard in the garage and the canvases are stored away on top of a cupboard. And so those things all create barriers between us and actually starting the creative process. Mm -hmm. Um, can, you, can you comment on that and how you get around things like that? How did you set up things so you can, when you have an idea, immediately just get going? Um, so, in our house, uh, there are notebooks and sheets of paper and paintbrushes and bottles with ink um, all over the place. Mm. Like uh, in the studio where I'm sitting now, um, there's a bottle full of brushes and there's a, a tin container full of markers. If I walk down the hallway, there's, there's just things all over the house. So you have to make it easy to get started when you have yes. an idea. Right? So if I wake up in the middle of the night, there's a notebook next to my bed and I can just scribble down the idea. So just be very practical about it and plan for creativity. So, and, and think of the spaces that you can typically do that. So, um, I like that. Sorry, brain. sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Plan for creativity. Elaborate exactly. on that. Yeah, it sounds um, counterintuitive, but mm. um, it's the only way you're going to do it. Like, schedule the time. Uh, say to yourself, okay, I'm going to use Tuesday evenings after work for an hour. I'm just going to be creative. I'm just going to start out making marks. Um, I'll add some constraints. I'm just going to use uh, a 6B pencil and I'm going to use this sheet of paper and I'm only going to draw organic shapes, leaves, trees, whatever. And I'm going to find some inspiration online first. And that's very important to me specifically. For me to get energized, um, it, it typically helps to get inspired. So, um, well, I think it's Picasso that also said something like uh, inspiration is for amateurs. Like the rest of us just do the work. Yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> the, the point is um, do what you need to do to activate your mm. excitement about the work. Because it, it might feel like work and a lot of it is work. But if I go onto Pinterest, for instance, or Instagram, and I scroll through a feed, and I see what other people are doing. Maybe I see a specific style of um, line. Hmm. Like uh, I see a, a portrait of a woman and a man, and it's, it's stylized in such a way that the, that the person had to look at a reference, but they also um, try to be a bit more expressive. And then I'm thinking, okay, maybe I can emulate that in a way 
But even if I do that, I know it will not look exactly like this because my voice, my unique, it's like your handwriting, right? Your handwriting is unique. It's exactly the same thing. So you're just using that handwriting as a way to draw. And in the end, you create something that's uniquely you, even though there's other influences. So I find it's, it's, it's good to um, be inspired. Um, and then you just need to be very practical, as I say, um, plan for it. If you, uh, if you said, I'm gonna do that on Tuesday evening, um, that means on Monday or over the weekend, you need to go get the canvas or whatever from the top of the stack in the garage and mm. prepare the space so that you can just uh, start working. Mm. And I also just wanted to mention that I, I do think it's good to become more childlike when we um, do these kinds of things. Um, I've what got a tradition of creativity. Um, trying to remember what I said. It's, I think it's something like um, creativity is the process of mindful play. Mm. Um, it's it's one part of creativity, but but the idea to see it as a process in the first place, it's not to uh, create something with a specific end in mind necessarily. Uh, often it is, but just the process of being creative of expressing yourself. Um, if you don't measure the end result, if you don't frame it and put it up somewhere, then you can actually. Uh, do it without a sense of fear because that's the thing it's fear right we, we are scared that the end result will be will be bad will be not good enough so if you can let, let go of that idea see it as a process and also um, not be precious about your work this is some very good advice I, I got when um, I was a student as well mm. is to not be precious about what you're creating not every mark you make is worth something. It doesn't have to be. It never was supposed to be. You know? mm. Most of it will be crap, but it's fine. It's part of the process. And then to, to do it mindfully. So you make a conscious decision. I'm going to be creative. Tuesday evening at six, mm. I'm going to be creative for 20 minutes. Mm. Okay. And then being playful about it. Just you've got your constraints, but then within the constraints, really go wild and be free. And again, it seems like a contradiction in terms, but it's not. Real freedom is very scary and it's actually paralyzing. Mm. But with constraints, you can be very creative and free. So that's my advice. No, I like that. Um, so it seems to me if we, if we kind of try and structure this is we need barriers in certain places, right? So we need barriers in terms of uh, or constraints uh, in terms of how we channel our creativity. I think we also need barriers in terms of when you go, when, you, when you're looking for some kind of inspirational spark, you know, and, and you're on so social media or something like that, it can be very tempting to just stay on there and skip the creative part. So I think we need barriers and constraints there. Um, but then we need to remove certain barriers. So the barrier to starting, we need to remove, make it as easy as possible for you to start, plan for creativity, like you said, and the, the limiting beliefs that we have, another barrier that we can remove. Yeah, and then to, to be very intentional about it and, and to be consistent. 
So um, if you if you set aside a whole weekend to be creative, man, it's gonna fail. Um, it's too it's too big a time slot. Uh, but if you say 15 minutes um, every Saturday morning after I get up or whatever whatever works for you, then you can repeat that and you can it can grow from from there. And also think a good practice initially to to um, to get your head around not being precious about the end result is to destroy the work after the first few sessions at least. So what, whatever you do, no one else has to see it. You can destroy it, set it on fire mm. or tear it into pieces and chuck it in the bin. And you'll feel, okay, great. This is not being measured. Um, Mrs. Kreibachen is not going to come look over my shoulder and say, <laughs> You better not become an artist, you know, whatever. Meneer <laughs> Biesenbach or whatever. Doctor for you, Maniki. Yeah. Any case, uh, yeah. Um, uh, it's very hard to unlearn these things, you know. We. we well, I want to comment on, on, on what what we're learning and developing as well. It's a skill, so the skill of being creative and skill of using certain um, mediums or whatever, but it's also the skill of getting into the zone, the skill of doing the work. That's a skill. Uh, and that's something that, that, that I feel I'm still developing the skill to just make the choice to go into a certain space now and do stuff. So it's about focus and whatever, but, but I feel like that's a skill that we can also develop. And if we are able to just maybe, let's call it a, a bit more discipline to just set aside certain times, time slots and say, that's the time when I do this. And it's 20 minutes and I go into that space, whether I feel creative or not, I just go and I explore and I draw or I paint or I play if, if it's music or whatever it might be. And then yeah. I stop after that yeah. time slot and tomorrow or the next day whenever you do that again I, I i feel that that's a skill that's helped me in terms of i play the bass in terms of playing the bass um to become much better than i used to be uh, mm. and to keep improving just by instead of thinking you have to practice two hours every day uh, 20 minutes every second day that consistency and being focused on what exactly it is that I want to learn or which skill I want to develop in terms of that helps a lot. But it's, it's hard. It's hard to, to be that disciplined when it comes to creativity, especially when it's not like a, a, what um, apply creativity. You're not being paid for it. It's just for fun. Yeah. But I do think it's important to to mention um, the fact that if you repeat something, you're not necessarily going to become better at it. Mm -hmm. um, meaning, you, if you want to develop a skill, you need to learn from someone, right? Yep. If I want to learn to be a better bass player, um, I'm not gonna figure it out if I hand you a bass and say, good luck. You go live in the mountains for two years and come back, and then you're gonna, you know, slap it like um, who's a good bass player? Victor Wooten. Like Victor <laughs> Wooten, you know. But if you 
if you look at videos uh, from Victor Wooten, you try to emulate him and you do an online course, etc. you learn the principles and then you can learn variations and scales and so on and so on. And the same thing applies to creativity. Um, I mean, I, I see a lot of people that uh, decide late in life now that I want to be creative now. So then they start painting and they start expressing themselves and then they, they go put the things in, um, in art galleries and so on. That doesn't mean it's going to be good yet. You know, yes. so there's something to be said for visual literacy, which is something you learn through exposure to, to work that is good based mm. on timeless principles and, you know, works from the, the beginning of all time. Since the first time we made a mark inside of a cave until now, um, we, we've learned what uh, good expressed creativity looks like now again it it uh, it is subjective but there's also a lot of it that's not and that is something that you learn through exposure um and i think uh, it's a good idea to find some kind of course online and there's a lot of platforms like skillshare um or mm. the great courses or many different universities offer courses in uh, creativity or painting or drawing whatever so i recommend doing that so learn the principles the timeless aspects of the craft and then do your own thing and and that will get you to a much better place i think if you want to become better at being creative than just putting in the time um week in week out and hoping that magically you learn how to draw a hand better, you know. Mm. Mm. It does, unfortunately, it doesn't work like that, I yeah. think. No, no, it makes sense to me. My wife, who's an artist, uh, studied at Michaelis in Cape Town um, and who's created a lot of work and also thrown a lot of it away, which uh, used to horror for me. It's like, what? That was beautiful. And she's like, no, I want to do something else with something different. Um, she recently started doing a course um, by Proco. Uh, so okay. I think it's the guy's surname, just on drawing. And after drawing her whole life, really, uh, she was, even did uh, art at school, now changed the way she holds the pencil. And she's like, this changes everything in the way I draw. Mm. So um, mm. even now, she's learning new things to improve and um, it unlocks other possibilities and creativity and skills and shows you yeah. how other things are possible, which might've been more difficult with a different technique or skill. So, uh, you know, I, I can see in her drawing the change, not that I'm an expert on drawing, but I can see, wow, you know, it's, you do it quicker and it looks, um, it engages me emotionally much better than it used to in a short mm. time. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. People have yeah. owned these skills and these principles over centuries. Um, I'll give you another example. I, I, um, I did a self-portrait uh, last year in, in the um, Stellenbosch Atelier. It's an uh, art, 
art class, uh, both Liesl and myself are, are doing with uh, Vivian van der Merwe and um, Fiona Metcalf, both established artists in South Africa. So, I mean, they are very good and they've got a specific um, way of approaching uh, the teaching and the painting and so on. So what I did with this um, painting was to try and draw my face accurately so that I have, um, you know, uh, a, a map to mm. fill in as I paint and sort of sculpt uh, the, the face. Yeah. Didn't work. Drew it. Okay. No, it doesn't look like me. Rub it out. Next class, week later, try again. I must have done that three or four times. I think for a month, I um, tried this approach and in the end still had nothing. I haven't made a single mark of oil paint on the, on the board. Mm. I was getting very frustrated. And then I talked to a friend of mine who's also uh, an artist, uh, Oliver, Oliver Scarlin. And um, he's also an ex-student of the Stellenbosch Atelier, but he took it further and studied at the Florence uh, Academy in Italy. So he, he's made art a career. Mm. And in art, there are different schools that approach the same thing in different ways. Mm. So you'll, you'll see there's a Russian school of drawing. And if your visual literacy um, advances to a point, you, you can see the differences in drawing. like. Oh, that's a Russian school. That's oh, wow. Florence. That's, mm. you know. And in any case, so he, he learned various techniques at uh, the Florence Academy. And the way he approaches uh, painting was or is to look at the composition and then he doesn't try to draw it accurately. He takes a paintbrush or raw umber or whatever, some dark brownish color basic outlines like very basic it doesn't really it's just more or less where the different things are and then he mixes um, a light value and a shadow value for all the biggest areas in the composition hmm. right and he makes sure that those color areas sort of resonate with one another and i was just amazed to see what he could accomplish in two hours basically half a morning he had a painting that looked like the real deal. Wow, this is amazing. And then I went back to the studio and started doing my portrait like this. Mixed large areas of colors. And in one evening, I put down, you know, the light, this side of my face, the light on the beard, shadow on the beard, and the background. And voila, there mm. is basically a, a very basic portrait but it, it looks okay and then when i started doing the detail you move this part up you make the nose a little bigger you make this and then you take away all the hair that i put in because there is none <laughs> so it, it just goes to show that there's various ways to to do the work different schools and people have already learned how to do this so you don't have to figure it out yourself mm. no that that's that's very cool um, I mean, obviously, I saw that that uh, self-portrait, and it's amazing. Looks, it's, it looks like you, mainly because <laughs> the the guy in the painting also doesn't have hair. So, 
I was a big yes, yes, that kind <laughs> of gives it away, yeah. No, all right, mate. Thank you so much. Thank you for for uh, chatting away with me about creativity. I appreciate you, and I appreciate um, your creativity, and uh, always uh, challenging me to try new things, like taking English first language in school, or entering <laughs> the Redenaars, things like that. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Um, where, if people want to reach you, where can they find you? How can they contact you? Um, so there is actually a website, minorshadow.com, but uh, it's kind of just a placeholder that uh, takes you to the social media um, accounts. Okay. Uh, and I think there's also an email address on there. Uh, otherwise, minorshadow at gmail.com will uh, come to me. All right, cool. So minorshadow.com will, will give them access to all of that. Yeah, yeah. And for um, a look at uh, some of the commercial work I've done over the years, uh, sunflood.co.za. It's S-U-N-F-L-O-O-D.co.za. Um, and the latest project that I'm working on now with the company that I uh, work for um, is bank.tech. Bank so, yeah, that's the, the latest um, well, it's, it's a website, but uh, we are working on the, the app at the moment. So it's very much UI and UX design at the moment for me. Um, but yeah, it's, it's nice to have a wide variety of um, creative outlets. So whatever floats your boat, go check it Go out. for it. Thanks, mate. All right. Thanks once again. Yeah. Justin. All right. All right. Gotcha. Yeah.